Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Director of Global Macro, Urian Timmer, joins us again for a macro and markets update, sharing his perspectives and thoughts on what may be ahead. Urian notes how since the June lows, we've retraced half of the equity market's declines. But now we're at a crossroads, as bear market rallies historically never retrace more than half of a decline. Urian also looks at what might be next from the U.S. Federal Reserve, sharing the expectation is for rates to rise to 3.5%, then ease back to 2.5%. Also today, Urian looks at supply chains, inflation, the yield curve, and fixed income in today's market environment, including the health and validity behind the traditional 60-40 portfolio. This podcast was recorded on August 22nd, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Welcome, Urian. How are you? I'm well. Good morning, Pamela. Good morning. Great to see you. You're on the cusp of actually a very exciting time in your life, which will come back. You're going to Burning Man, right? In the next day. I, I am. Yeah. Maybe at the end, we'll, we'll pull up a, a slide of, of the of Highway 47 to Gerlach, but we'll, we'll save that for the end. Okay. Sounds fantastic. Okay. We're in the midst of what many have called a bear market rally. Uh, those more optimistically, the bulls say no. Uh, we've seen a couple of days of off, but we are right before Jackson Hole. So, I mean, is it all understandable? Where do you take this? Yes, it is. Um, so just to, to refresh everyone's memory, you know, from January, <clears throat> from the January 4th high uh, to the June 16th low, the S&P 500 fell 25%, obviously very much in bear market um, territory. And then off that uh, June low, very, very quietly at first, Markets started to recover, and as and you know what what typically happens is nobody believes it because you know bear markets have lots of bounces. Um, but then all of a sudden we've retraced half of the decline, and you know that gets certainly my attention. It gets other people's attention as well. Per usual, Urian has a few charts to share today, so let's head to at Timmer Fidelity on Twitter to follow along. We'll start off today with bear market rallies, which was tweeted on August twenty second. And what you can see, you know, in this chart, for instance, is that when you have bear markets and you have rallies, um, so the, these are rallies only in, in bear markets. They're not new bull markets, but bear market rallies basically never retrace more than half the decline. So the fact that we've retraced half the, 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 the decline, um, puts, puts the market kind of at a, at a crossroads where if it retraces even, you know, uh, more of the loss than it already has, uh, then historically speaking, that, that doesn't mean it can't be a bear market rally, but historically speaking, that's really never happened before, which means by definition that if we retrace even more of the decline from here, it's going to be a new bull market, at least statistically speaking. 
so so we're we're in that kind of that line in the sand and and this is why this is being so hotly debated you know bear market rally new bull market some technicians are like it's it is a new bull market look at the breadth numbers and actually but but to me most of the technical indicators here other than this one here are very inconclusive and, and an example of, of how i think about that is is bull market analogs greater than 50-day moving average tweeted on august 23rd which will be followed by the chart in the same thread bear market rallies the percentage of stocks in the stock market uh, above their 50-day moving average measured from a uh, from the low of a new bull market and again i'm assuming for just the sake of this argument that that's the case, although that's not my my necessarily my prediction. But you see a massive increase in breadth, you know, the number of stocks participating in the rally. And you would say, well, that, that looks pretty bullish. But if you then go to the next slide, I show the exact same thing during bear market rallies. And this is the same the same indicator, but during bear market rallies. And, you know, I, I challenge you to to show me the difference between the two, and so they look the you know, same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And 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 this is always um, a limitation, <clears throat> a limitation of technical analysis. Uh, and I, you know, I'm I'm a a card carrying technical analyst, and I have been for almost four decades. So, uh, but a, a limitation with technical analysis, as well as fundamental analysis, I should say, is that without any context, without making some assumptions of where you are in the cycle and what other factors are at play, most of these indicators are a coin toss. And, and, and you know, and maybe if you're lucky, it's a 52% versus 48% odds. But generally speaking, the charts do not really tell you which one it is, but that first chart we showed um, of that retracement, that I think is a real tell. <clears throat> and you know, if you were bearishly inclined here and you see this strong breath, uh, which basically tells you the market is overbought, um, and you see that 50% retracement, knowing that bear market rallies basically never retrace more than 50%, you know, if you were if you were a bear, uh, I would view this as a Tremendous opportunity to sell. Now, I'm not a bear. I, I think the lows are probably in, but I think uh, the market is going to be challenged kind of moving forward here, uh, mostly based on the fundamentals, which I know we will talk about today. Yeah. Well, let's let, let's go into to some of the fundamentals and maybe let's go into sort of the macro story at this point. We, we certainly saw a team of Fed officials marched out over the last week or two trying to talk down the market essentially um why does the fed need to talk down the market by the way this is sort of an aside but i mean why is that necessary um it's necessary <clears throat> and i apologize i don't have the slide in here today but uh what's happening is that <clears throat> the markets are seeing the end of the cycle looming right so um the fed is expected to go to three and a half percent and then ease 100 basis points back to two and a half. And, you know, we can <clears throat> we can talk about why would the Fed give back. So the Fed's going to take 100 basis points in the next six months and then give it back to the market. Like, you know, I, we can argue about what the logic is of that. But I think the logic from the market's perspective is that either the, mar the Fed will tighten so much that it will break something in the economy, right, and the inverted yield curve is kind of hinting in that direction. And so other, another way of saying that is that the Fed's going to trigger a recession and then we'll be forced to ease. And that if inflation breaks, 
and inflation is expected to moderate here, then the Fed, you know, can afford to undo the next 100 basis points of tightening. And that could be either in a, you know, a negative setting of the Fed has triggered a, a recession, or it can be in a more positive setting saying, you know, if neutral, if a neutral policy is two and a half, and the Fed goes to three and a half, only because it needs to break inflation. And if inflation is then broken, the Fed has no reason to stay at three and a half. It can, it should go back to neutral to two and a half. So it's perfectly logical to, to see why the market is pricing in three and a half, but only for a short period. Because if two and a half is the base case neutral policy, then that's where the Fed should ultimately be. Uh, but it can only get there once inflation, once it sees the eyes in uh, the whites in the eyes of inflation. Let's take a look at tips break evens versus headlined inflation tweeted on August 23rd. This chart, this is the CPI in purple, the P, the core PCE in orange, which is the inflation indicator that the Fed watches most closely. And you see the tips curve uh, in the black line. And, you know, indeed, the, the tips curve shows, you know, implies that Goldilocks is, is coming back to town, right? Um, but so so that's, I think, the, the thinking. Um, but what's happening is that the markets are in maybe in the eyes of the Fed, declaring victory too soon, right? So the stock market, as we just discussed, is off up 17% from the low, uh, a few percent less today um, uh, and the last few days, but still up meaningfully from the low. Credit spreads have narrowed. Bond yields are down from their peaks of 3.5%. And until a few days ago, the dollar was weakening again. All of those are inputs into what we call financial conditions. Um, and so as these markets improve because they see the turn coming in Fed policy, um, markets are rallying and financial conditions are easing. And you can you can imagine that if you're the Fed and you're like, wait a minute, you know, we're not done yet. We still have 100 basis points to go until we get to three and a half. So the Fed doesn't want the markets to get too complacent too fast, which is why I think the Fed is striking a more hawkish tone. And, you know, one thing that I've been thinking about and that I wrote about you know, this week is slide 25, which for us is U.S. monetary policy and was tweeted on August 23rd in the same thread as the previous chart. And there's another slightly more glass half empty view of this, and that is that it's possible that the Fed actually is wrong about what is a neutral policy, right? So you look at the the dot plot, the long term dots, that that is the Fed's way of telling us this is what we think a neutral long-term policy is. Um, the dot plot suggests that the Fed believes that two and a half percent is neutral, and and that that's consistent with where things have been, you know, in recent years, especially since the financial crisis. And in this chart, the, the thick blue line is is our star, the the, the natural rate of interest. Uh, but what's interesting is that you know who says that two and a half is still neutral. Uh, we have a very tight labor market. We have, you know, maybe some structural inflation. Uh, maybe neutral is not a static concept. Maybe it's a it's a moving target, and maybe it's moving higher. And in fact, um, the little orange line in that chart is my uh, attempt to to uh, figure out where the neutral rate is because it's very interesting. You know, that neutral rate that you see on the chart is from the Federal Reserve. It's from the San Francisco Fed. And the Fed has not updated this line in two years since COVID. Uh, 
So we're, we're left well, guessing what, what the natural rate is. And you can see that the natural rate seems to be moving up, which makes perfect sense given what we see in the labor markets, et cetera. And then you look at that purple line, and that's the forward curve, right? So what the market is expecting the Fed to do, but adjusted for inflation by subtracting the tips, break-evens from that line. And what I find interesting is that you look at that purple line and where it peaks uh, based on the tips market and the forward curve, it's going to peak at a negative real rate, even though our star, which is a real, a real rate, right, is moving higher towards almost towards one percent so maybe the fed is just completely wrong as to what a neutral policy even is and if neutral is higher than where it thinks it is and it needs to go above neutral to play the inflation dragon maybe we're looking at a fed funds rate in real terms of you know one percent which in nominal terms would be closer to five percent not three and a half which is what's now priced in so you know, I, I wonder if the market and the Fed both are kind of wrong-footed here uh, and, and being a little bit too complacent about looking at past history and projecting into the future. And, you know, this brings me to kind of that line in the sand that we talked about, right. that 50% retracement. Um, are you a buyer or a seller at that 50% line in the sand? And based on what I'm seeing in this chart, you know, I, I would not be a buyer. Maybe I would even be a seller. Uh, and, that, and by that, I don't mean to say that I think we're going to new lows or anything or even back to the old lows uh, back in June. But it, I find it hard to paint um, a, a very constructive narrative for why the market at this point should recover or retrace even more of its decline than it has. Fascinating. I mean, and that is that sort of ultimately what. Everyone wants to know, you know, how you sort of look at that ultimately with a conclusion. Do you find it ironic? We were speaking just before we came on air about, you know, years ago now, actually, at Jackson Hole, uh, when the Fed announced that maybe 2% doesn't need to be the target. And there's a fancy word for that. And you'll remind me. But it could be more, you know, it could float around there. And here we are today. Not, I mean, he didn't know at the time yeah. the pandemic was coming. But kind of yeah, it was AIT, Average Inflation Targeting. Uh, and that was in uh, 2019 or so when inflation just would persistently underperform uh, against the Fed's target. And by underperform, meaning it was below the Fed's 2% target. And the 2% is on the core PCE. The CPI tends to run a little higher. So it, it really was two and a half on the CPI, but they went from just saying we want two and a half to saying we want the average over a certain period to be two and a half which is a fancy way of saying if inflation starts running hot, so above two and a half, we're going to let it run hot for a while so that the average gets to two and a half, not just the current level. And I think that makes all makes perfect sense. But in retrospect, <clears throat> you know, the, the contrarian in us would have said, you know, that that's a sell the news moment, uh, because, of course, since then, inflation has been nothing but a problem. Um, and so uh, but I, if I could follow up one second on the last chart, if we go to slide 26. And that would be valuation and the two year tweeted on August 23rd. Um, just to, to kind of connect the dots a little bit further on that, you know, we're at that 50% retracement line in the sand. No bear market rally has ever gone beyond that, which means that if we do go beyond it, it's a bull market. But yet you look at monetary policy and, <clears throat> you know, maybe the Fed 
is being too complacent about what a neutral policy is. And then if you take that one step further, and I've shown this chart, of course, in the past, I look at the forward P.E. ratio in the gray and uh, the two-year yield um, <clears throat> in the orange turned upside down and expressed as a P.E., just which is you can do just by a simple linear regression. And you can see that this rally is all P.E., right, because we've talked about in past weeks about earnings growth flowing and certainly second quarter earnings season was the, the shoe that didn't drop. So that was, of course, good news, and that was also part of the narrative of why the market was on better footing, right? Because you 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 combine uh, <clears throat> the earnings shoe not dropping with inflation peaking, and that creates a more Goldilocks scenario. So it's very easy to see why the market rallied. But now that we've rallied and we're up 17% from the low, we're looking at a PE of 18 times expected earnings, whereas the two-year yield would suggest that the fair value is only 15 times earnings. And then when you add to that this, this, this theoretical notion that maybe the Fed is actually further away from neutral than it thinks it is, that would imply that the two-year yield is not going to go down anytime soon. If anything, it might go up more. Uh, that will create even more of a valuation gap. So when I add all of these things together, it's hard for me to get too excited about this market at these levels. How do we uh, work with some of the narratives in the markets right now? There's always the this time is different story. But so what if this time is different? The, the argument goes, you know, there, there are more retail investors who are willing to stay in, who are willing to stay, for instance, supportive of meme stocks. Uh, there's different types of access. Some of the mechanics of the markets are, are a little bit different. What do you do with all that? Do you dump it into the idea that actually the Fed will have to go further? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great question. And <clears throat> certainly, you know, my, my technical toolkit is pretty vast. I have lots and lots of indicators, including a lot of sentiment indicators. And one interesting thing is <clears throat> that um, at the lows in June, again, down 25%, that's not nothing at all. We didn't really see the traditional kind of capitulation that you would see in terms of investor flows, right? Like there were no massive outflows from equity funds or ETFs or anything like that. Um, and, and that I think is, is interesting. We, so we, the market got oversold. Some of the sentiment surveys got oversold, like the American Association of Individual Investor Survey showed more bears than bulls. And, you know, that doesn't happen very often, but you didn't get kind of those massive panicky outflows. So we never saw that. And that's why the June low was not one of those lows where you can like say, Sneaky okay, you know, yeah. even, even a blind person can see that this is a capitulation. Sneaky. We never got there. And then the rally off the lows, as you were indicating, has not really come from traditional investors, but it's come from the meme stock players. And so, and that's why I think a lot of people missed it. Because it was very stealthy. It was these kind of these, the, 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 the whole Reddit clan, you know, going in and buying the same, the same suspects they were buying in 2021. Um, and so it, it hasn't been a, a, a typical cycle from that perspective. Um, I don't know what that means for the longevity of the, of, of this cycle, whether it's a bull market or <clears throat> a bear market rally, but, um, but, you know, every every bull market starts as short covering, right? I mean, they all start the same way. Uh, but the, the really good ones <clears throat> start from a from a capitulation extreme. And, that, and that's something we never had. And, and you know, back to that P.E. chart that I just showed, 
Uh, that PE always was catching up or down to kind of the new fair value of where rates were based on what the Fed was doing. And of course, over the past six months, the Fed kept moving the goalposts saying, well, we're not going to go to two and a half, we're going to go to three and then to three and a half. Um, the Fed, the market was always catching up to that, but it never went beyond that, right? So the PE at the bottom should have been 15. It was 15. But it, you know, like from my perspective as a, as a contrarian looking for juicy signals like that, if it had gone to 12, that would have been a real signal because that meant that investors <clears throat> were pricing in for a recession <clears throat> that then didn't happen. And then you have <clears throat> an immediate give back of those three points. And, you know, we never saw that. So, so this has been, it, it hasn't been a satisfying cycle from that, from that perspective. That's so interesting, you know, because that's just again from how you look at it from the from the technicals that that, that often is as you say satisfying. What a good word for it. Okay, lots of questions rolling in. You're in. I'll put a couple of these to you if you don't mind. So this is a question on China situation that it's in right now, given uh, China's property market. Ask this advisor and unemployment for young people. Those numbers rolling in. We know last week in that big, um, huge sort of trunk of Chinese data last week. What do you make of that? Um, I mean, China is probably in a recession, um, you know, which is which is not something that the Chinese economy does very often because, you know, since it since the whole globalization and emerging market you know story began 20 years ago, you know, China's growth has always been very, very impressive, of course, even though people could argue that the numbers sometimes were, were made up. But that's a different that's a different topic. But but so China has over that period of time uh, been in what we call growth recessions. And a growth recession just means that you don't have an outright contraction in growth, but you're growing slower than what you what you could be doing. And certainly that's happened several times. That happened during the financial crisis. It happened in 2015 when we had that big policy divergence and we had the Chinese yuan uh, we, you know, weakening uh, on, on, as a result of capital flight. So that was the whole 2015 story, which then led to the Shanghai Accord, which is when supposedly Janet Yellen at the Fed you know, struck a deal with the Chinese to, to, to kind of back off on the tightening plan so that the dollar could weaken and financial conditions could ease. So China has been there, of course, but I, I think th this is a more serious, uh, maybe outright contraction. I mean, what we see in the property sector there, uh, is pretty, is pretty stark. And that, of course, comes after several years. Well, first after the, the, all the trade tensions, right? From the Trump administration, then followed by all of the, the, the policy, um, you know, mandates coming from Xi Jinping down, you know, essentially, Punishing the, the big wealthy entrepreneurs um, and 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 raising up the the average you know the 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 common people for the lack of a better word. So it was you know trade, then it was that policy, um, and and then it was COVID, and now we have kind of the zero COVID policy. So it it's sort of and then the, the whole property sector. So it's been one thing after another, and and the Chinese central bank you know they are easing policy, but I don't get the sense that they're easing it enough uh, to, to really make a difference. So I think, you know, China is a is is an issue. And this is one of the reasons why emerging markets have not really worked, because China obviously is a big component of that. Um, maybe it's so bad that it's good at this point where you look at the earnings differentials. 
the spread between EM or China earnings growth or earnings estimate growth versus the U.S. has never been bigger. So if you're if you're a deep value contrarian type of investor, um, it probably makes sense here, especially when you look at how strong the dollar is. So if at some point the policy difference between the U.S. and the rest of the world, not just Europe and Japan, but also emerging markets, if that starts to um, get right sized and, and the way the way that would happen is that the Fed actually gets gets to its terminal point and then starts the ease. Um, at that point, you know, you're going to get a big currency boost in terms of the currency translation, not only in EM and China, but also non-U.S. markets in general. Um, so but, you know, we're not we're not quite there yet. Yeah, that's fascinating. OK, uh, here's a question a little bit on on positioning. So what do you think of bond markets if equity markets stall here? What what could it mean for the 60-40 portfolio? Um, I think the <clears throat> and oh, and by the way, um, not to change topic, but if we could pull up slide 14, we had talked about financial conditions earlier, and I thought I didn't have the chart, but I do have the chart. Uh, so let, let me just um, speak to slide 14 first. And that slide is the rising cost of capital, which at the time of recording was last tweeted on August 1st. It shows you uh, the cost of capital, and that the cost of capital. Um, has been falling. So the, the, the lines are various forms of that. The earnings yield, the 10-year treasury, Barclays Ag, 30-year mortgage rates, et cetera, et cetera. And the gray bars are financial conditions. So you can see that since June, financial conditions have eased. And lo and behold, June was the bottom in the stock market, and it was the peak in the bond market. And the question, of course, that you just asked is about interest rates and 60-40. Uh, so it's a good segue to that. You know, we the 10-year yield peaked at three and a half. Uh, and it did that in June when, if you remember, <clears throat> that first really hot inflation report came in where the CPI went to 8.6 and the market really kind of freaked out on that and, and it priced in a 4% terminal rate for the Fed. The 10-year briefly went to 3.5. That was the bottom in the stock market. And since then, things have moderated, even though the CPI actually came in the month after that at an even higher rate at 9%. And now we've been fairly steady uh, looking at a 3.5% terminal rate. Uh, but financial conditions have eased. The 10-year yield went all the way down to like 270 or so from 350, which is a huge move, uh, but it's back towards 3% now. My, my sense is that uh, anything above 3, in my view, uh, is, is, is attractive. Um, and, um, you know, the yield curve, as you know, is, is inverted. And if the Fed does end up pushing rates higher than three and a half uh, per our conversation earlier, uh, I think the long end would just invert further and, you know, it will bring us closer maybe eventually to a recession. Um, and in that respect, I think the 60-40 will start to work again. It's not really working right now. It hasn't worked this year. The correlation between the Barclays Ag and, and the S&P 500 is very slightly positive. It's like plus 6% or so. But um, I do think that if we end up in a in a recession at some point, that that 40 is going to do what it's meant to do. Um, and so I, I think, you know, we maybe we're in a structural period where the 40 works less well than it has in the past against insulating against the 60. But I do think that periods of cyclical uh, downturns, which, you know, I'm not predicting that we're about to have one. I don't think we're in one now, even though we have the two quarters technically of negative GDP growth, 
But if we do end up there maybe a year from now or six months from now or what have you, I think the 40 will, will do what it's, what it's meant to do. Um, but I don't think it's going to work as well as it has in the last 20 years. But I, I would not want to abandon the 40 here, especially if, if yields are, let's say, at, at three or above. Okay, we're going to bring up, a, it's actually a stunning photograph, I think, that we have slide here. One. Slide one. Okay, slide one. And you'll tell us a little bit about the journey that you're about to go on, actually, if you don't mind. Yeah, as, as most of the, the audience probably knows. And Look I know, at that. Wow. And I know some of the audience actually goes to Burning Man, and I know that I'm seeing probably a couple of them in the next week. But th this is Highway 447 going from Reno, Nevada to Gerlach. And Gerlach is this little tiny town in Nevada, which is the last stop <clears throat> before Black Rock Desert, or what we call the Playa. And the Playa is a prehistoric lake bed, 4,000 feet above sea level. It is the flattest surface on the planet, uh, believe it or not. And it's covered in this alkaline dust, so it's not sand. Um, it's this very, very fine dust. It gets everywhere, and you're not going to survive Burning Man if you don't embrace the dust. Uh, but that is the that is the, the the road to the playa, and of course Burning Man uh, officially the the main week is next week, but um, it's already starting now. Build week is this week. The gates opened for Build Week last night at midnight. Uh, part of my crew for the camp that um, I co-manage uh, called Feed the Artists um, is already there. They're setting up our containers, and so this Amazing. is my this Generated is my yeah, so this is my annual pilgrimage, and it's starting on Wednesday. Wednesday we drive from Santa Barbara to Reno for eight hours, and then um, and then we drive another two hours to the playa. And uh, I will be completely off the grid uh, for the next two weeks, basically. Um, and so, if if any of any of the folks um, on the call, and I know some of those uh, those crazy Canadians go to Burning Man, so if they're at the playa, we are at ten and E. Feed the artists, come come see us and come have a, a bite of food with us. It looks awesome in every sense of the word. I hope you have the most wonderful and fascinating time. You so deserve it. You've shared so much with us. So we'll see you on the other side. Yuri and Timur, yeah. thank you for joining us. See you on the other side, Balan. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts, and don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thank you. See you next time.